Alright, fools. Let's do it. Episode 37 of G.I. Joeberg, South Africa's only podcast talking about G.I. Joe. <laughs> Let's get ready, ready to ramble. Oh, shut up, I'm talking. <laughs> okay. <you can laughs> Probably the only podcast in Africa doing a, a G.I. Joe podcast. We can probably claim that. Yeah, yeah. We, we can claim that. We can, we can own that. <laughs> For what it's, it's worth. It's not Africa. This episode is entitled, uh, The Best of the Worst. And in it, myself, Stephen, and... Myself, Paul. <laughs> and also, myself, Rob. We'll address our least favorite things in G.I. Joe and try and find their silver lining. Their one or two or three redeeming qualities. Is there a toy in the DEF, the Battle Force 2000, or the Dreadnoughts that those of us who hate those subgroups can find some joy in? Did that did that read? Did, 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 uh, did the listeners out there get the gist of what I'm saying? I hope so. But well, never mind. We've probably got an hour and a half to explain it better. So. Here goes. Yeah. But first, gentlemen, any new toys in your toyland? G.I. Joe ben. toys, specifically. All right. Well, Paul, take it away. Uh, take a deep breath, say, buddy. Okay, hold on, hold on. Whew. Okay, there's a story to this, so brace yourself, folks. Okay. Some of you may remember in episode 33 or 34 or maybe even 32, that I was excited about getting my Night Viper. Because Paul has no idea what episode it was. I never remember the episode names. I'm very <laughs> But he sorry. expects you to, dear listeners. <laughs> well, now you have a good reason to check out episode 34, 33, or 32 to validate my thing. <laughs> but I was really, really excited about getting a, a Night Viper from the Wave 4 retaliation set of G.I. Joe's, the modern era Night Viper. Now, as many of you guys may know already, is that this Night Viper is kind of like a, it's a bit of a unicorn. Like everybody kind of wanted it. It was like the hot figure to, to come on the tail, uh, come out uh, on the tail end of that wave. There was much excitement, etc., etc. Um, and obviously, you know, the demand was high for it because, gosh, we had a great G.I. Joe figure to look forward to other than like a fourth roadblock and fourth duke. So anyway, I got really excited about this, and uh, I'd, we'd been going through a bit of a, a, a sort of a bad time financially, and my girlfriend had actually made a plan to actually get me this figurine, this uh, Night Viper, but it, it came along with the Blind Master and Jinx and uh, Lady J, and these were like, what happens is, uh, for, for the listeners that may be unfamiliar with Big Bad Toy Store, she ordered it from Big Bad Toy Store, and they, what they do is they sort of cherry pick, and then they make like a collection of figures, the aforementioned figures, and then they sell it to you at like a slightly premium price, uh, 54 or $64 around there. So she ordered it for me, and this was my birthday present um, at the time. So like really excited. 
And uh, yeah, she placed the order, and my birthday came along, and no figures arrived. And then another week passed, and no figures arrived. And then another two weeks passed, and no toys arrived. 54 days later, because I track these things, 54 days later, no night vipers. So we started like, you know, pelting BBTS for some sort of, you know, what the hell. And they were giving Damn us uh, reasons. BBTS! But yeah, they, they had actually lost my parcel. And they didn't, they couldn't like remake the order for me. So they had to give me credit. So I ended up buying one of my shiny men. But anyway, so I didn't get this freaking night viper. And back up, back up, back up, sorry. You are expecting way too much of our very small but very dedicated band of listeners. If you're going to expect them to not only know exactly when you gave this rant, but also know what you mean by a shiny man. What is a shiny okay. man? There's a popular anime called Saint Seiya. It's an old school anime. And they make a, a toy line that originally started off in the 80s with the show that was very similar to G.I. Joe scaled figurines, very, very poseable, bendable fingers, the whole thing with removable armor. The anime has to uh, deal with um, the Zodiac, you know, with the different, you know, star signs. And then okay, too much information. Have... <laughs> Basically, listeners, anyway. they're chromed up to the max. So they look like, I don't know, Japanese uh, medieval knights, but, uh, you know, in nine karat gold and platinum. Yeah, they're really cool. And. I'm sure some of you listeners out there might know it as Knights of the Zodiac or Caballeros del Zodiaco or whatever the hell. Anyway, very so I got one of those instead. Very shiny. But yeah, so I was going to get my Night Viper and I was trolling eBay and guys were selling these things for like $60, $80. And I just, there's no way I could get one of these things. And I was actually kind of like bummed about it. It was like really upset. So I was going to get a Night Viper and uh, queue, what, eight months later, <laughs> uh, nine yeah. months later. I finally got my Night Viper. I uh, found a, a seller on eBay. He had it for, what is it, $24 or something like that, roughly. And I grabbed it. I, I, I pinched it. I was like, oh, my word, this is so cool. Because I just got paid for this one job. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to get it. And I got my Night Viper and took about three weeks to get here on the cheapest <laughs> cheapest shipping. Steve would be proud. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I even picked them up a week late because I had to wait for the notification to come into my post box because there's no way I could track him. Because <laughs> the, the South African Post Service tracking system is a bit down at the moment. I, I was wondering if you'd ever slum it like me, bro. I totally slummed it like you, bro. Amazing. Yeah, here he is. He's great. He is worth the hype. He's a cool toy. He's filled a gap in my collection that I'm very happy about. I'm also glad that I have a green Night Viper instead of the red one that's coming with the first the 50th anniversary wave and he's awesome uh he's my night viper he's my first night viper i've never had a night viper before and i love my night viper i'm just going to go into some of the cons i'm not going to go into all of the any pros or any major in-depth review here uh although he's a second joke and he's very well thought out and put together nicely uh he has got one or two weird issues he's got the mars uh trooper from the facet of cobra preview line uh he's got a mars trooper um holster setup and that holster is god awful. It was bad then. It's still bad now. And they give you the, like the worst gun to put in it because it kind of looks like the gun is stabbing the holster. It doesn't really look like it sits in there properly. It's it's not very cool. He's also got funny hands. Like okay, when I say funny hands, he's got great hands, but they didn't think to maybe like cut the slot in the trigger hole a bit bigger, you know, to help his finger go in there. So it makes holding the sniper rifle somewhat awkward. Uh, I know some guys have had great success. I've actually gone as far as to cut in there with an X-Acto knife 
just to be able to get the finger a bit loose. And I've actually trimmed the finger a little bit so it fits in the hole of the gun. An odd design choice, I think, is having him carry a shotgun. Uh, it's cool. I don't have a problem with it. I just think they could have thought of a better way to tack it onto his backpack. The weird sort of slot that they've designed for the backpack to hold the shotgun is is irritating because the shotgun comes loose every time you do a move with the, uh, movement with the figure, and it's kind of annoying. Yeah, but I was wondering how that, secure really, that shotgun would be. No, it's irritating, and you never know which way is the right way to do it, and no way is really the right way because they all suck, then nothing works. Um, <laughs> and then in a weird... And in a surprising twist, they give you an M4 as he's one of his like standard armaments, and he doesn't hold that very well. Like his hands are just not designed to hold that gun well. Uh, for the record, it's the shock trooper hands and arms uh, that a lot of people have um, become quite familiar with on figures like Lifeline. And, but yeah, we we're quite familiar with those arms and those hands. They just don't work for that M4. Yeah, otherwise, guys, great figure, really worth the hype. Um, I believe prices have, have dropped a bit now because I see BBTS has that same cherry-picked lot, which is available now for the same price. Um, so if you guys haven't gotten, gotten one and you really want to get your hand on a Night Viper, a Lady J, a Blind Master, and Jinx, then yeah, do it now because they're available and they're available at realistic prices. I see a lot of the eBay, the typical eBayers have now dropped their prices down to um, $20 for some of these figures and, and in some cases even $13 for Lady J and stuff. So there we go. Well, at least that's, so that's approaching... My Brick and mortar prices. Pricing, yeah. Thirteen thirteen dollars for a Joe's is kind of what you'd expect to pay in like a Walmart. Yeah. Oh, from what I understand, yeah. And and this is he is he is great. There's a lot of nods to the original Night Viper. You guys can go and check out yojo.com if you want to look at pictures. There's there's really not much I can tell you that you can't really check on the net yourself and that you probably don't know already, seeing as you guys probably have one, dear listeners. You know, you guys probably had yours before me. So anyway, I'm very excited. I got my Night Viper, and I get to do my cool sneaky Cobra Night Ops. And yeah, that's me for New Joes, at least for now. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I've been gallivanting around the United Kingdom and Ireland, and uh, not really doing much uh, G.I. Joe browsing. I didn't really find any dinky old vintage toy shops in Birmingham, Cardiff, or in Manchester. I did, however, pick up a Star Wars Vintage Collection Slave 1, which is Boba Fett's craft. Very nice toy. It's the same as the Jango Fett version released in conjunction with Attack of the Clones. But, of course, it's done up in the way more sexy and beat-up Episode 5 Empire Strikes Back version. And that is the one that everyone wants. So I'm a very proud and happy owner of a... Slave 1 in the very swish and sexy Star Wars Vintage Collection collection. Uh, I don't suppose anyone specifically focused on G.I. Joe gives a damn about that, but if you're going to have a Slave 1, this is the version you want. Boom. Uh, it cost me dear, and it did make me look very awkward in transit, because <laughs> I kept the very cool vintage styling box by putting my clothes in it and putting it into my luggage. <laughs> Therefore, I had to cart around a Slave 1 in a Forbidden Planet packet. Forbidden Planet is the major sort of comic and toy and video game culture shops in and around England and Wales. Yeah, and that packet contained not only the Slave 1, but a Tiger Fly and a 
what they call an aerial rocket helicopter done by my favorite world peacekeepers and that's a damn fine toy it kind of one-ups the Blackhawk, also put out by PTE or World Peacekeepers, by having completely glassed up windows. All the windows are present. All the doors are functional. It's a nice shape. It looks a great deal like Airwolf, in fact. Mm. Mm. Yeah, cool chopper. Rubber tires, rotating rotor blades, of course. If you blow into the tail rotor, it spins. It's very nicely bladed and angled in order to do that. Yeah, good toy. So in my tail rotor, I will spin. <laughs> that was a very polite laugh there, Rob. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> good boy, good boy. I didn't think you would laugh at it, so I thought I'd give it a laugh. Thanks, See, dude. That's I mean, you friends should laugh for. at it because it's funny. You, you know? know, for good times yeah. and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. Yeah, Yeah, and you'll do jokes. Cue Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Then flash forward to Dublin, and I was crestfallen when I found out that the coolest vintage toy store that used to reside in Temple Bar was no longer there. So I had to make do with yet another Forbidden Planet. I swear it was the British Isles and Ireland tour of Forbidden Planets because I visited four of their major stores (laughs) in four different cities. But to my delight this uh, vintage toy store which is in fact called dublin city comics didn't disappear they didn't go out of business they just relocated to a bigger shop so mm-hmm. i got to trawl through boxes and boxes of dusty old toys and found in a crate that was behind the till some old bagged G.I. Joes. They had been sorted. Some of them had been mismatched. But I managed to put together a few of them. And they are Road Pig. Managed to get him complete. Maverick, also complete. Uh, Major Blood, missing his accessories. But I got him at a steal for only €5. Euro. There was a 1983 swivel arm stalker, which his O-ring had perished. And he was in two halves. The guy said, oh, that one's damaged. You can have that one for free. And I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> I mean, 1983 Stalker is, I mean, it's a pretty plain Jane and very basic figure, but it is a seminal figure. And one that mm-hmm. takes me all the way back to the very first order I ever placed online for G.I. Joe's. Back, you know, in the late 90s when the discovery was made that you can. Send your credit card details to a store in the States, and they'll post you G.I. Joes. (gasps) I mean, this was such a novelty. So this famous uh, order consisted of Duke and Stalker for myself, and Rob placed an order for Chuckles, Spirit, and Freedom, and Lieutenant Falcon. The order never arrived. Yeah. (laughs) It's <laughs> so sad. It is so sad. But do you realize, Rob, we are one figure away from completing that order? And it's one of yours. Spirit. We need Spirit, Spirit and Freedom. 1984 Spirit and Freedom. And I have been looking. Let me tell you, I have been looking. Anyway, so that was a cool thing. Uh, a pretty beat up but very functional stalker to add to my collection. Um, also got from that... Oh, Copperhead which is a damn fine figure, I find. From 1984 mm. is 
his detailing and texturing is so good. Really, really cool. And uh, now I just need a water moccasin. Should be able to get one slightly cheaper now that I'm not having to look for the accompanying driver. The last and possibly the best figure that I got out of Dublin City Comics is Lifeline Tiger Force version. And I say this because I have a Lifeline. I had one as a child. I destroyed it. I bought another one in his original raspberry and vanilla flavor. And I've always passed up Tiger Force because I always thought that they snubbed so many details. But this Tiger Force version actually does a damn fine job of picking up the necessary details and leaving the unnecessary details bland and unpainted. But he works so seamlessly in in a sort of on-mission profile. He now no longer is like the rescue dude you call in to put out the fires and save cats from trees. He is the on-mission medical corpsman. He would be traipsing through the jungle with your team, doing their thing, mm. or doing a solo mission on his own. But this is his very practical green pants and <clears throat> mustard shirt look, and it works so sublimely. It also helps that his accessories are molded in black, and his case is in a dark green. So he just looks he looks like he means business. It actually gives the figure a far more serious tone, which manages to turn down the volume on his goofy grin somewhat. So I'm thrilled. It's a good figure. But I want to ask you, fellas, in a situation like that, do you feel it is appropriate to haggle? Or do you think that you should pay the prices they demand? Because not all of these figures were complete... Not all of them were minty mint. I think there would have been some leeway with some of them. I would definitely haggle if I was gonna like pick up more than one. Like if I had to pick up like three or four of them, and they they were in the condition that you mentioned, I would I would try to like I, I would just say, hey, is there any way we can like negotiate for a better price on on me grabbing all of them because they're, they're not all complete, and you know it's gonna cost me like the price of this to find X Y Z helmet or gun or. It's Whatever, helped by you know. the fact that, like, in G.I. Joe specifically, I and you and Rob, we are pretty clued up on what we're looking at. Like, if a mm-hmm. guy's got a random, if he's bagged with a random gun, you kind of can size up your shopkeeper. You can tell that this guy doesn't quite know what he's selling. So you can convince him any number of things. Like, say he's missing a small piece of, of accessory. You can say, oh, he comes with, uh, you know, like a whole rope climbing uh, ascension <laughs> kit. Uh, that's missing, so I'm not paying what you're asking for. Like, <laughs> you can kind of fib and get away with it. Of course, they, they would be au fait with sites like yojo.com, but then you can say, oh, well, that's the wrong version. <laughs> you know, there are any <laughs> finagles that you can you can pull. I just, I must admit, I, I I felt morally bad trying to do that. My wild card from my mean dog um, from 1988, he's missing his machete and the backpack that the machete sheaths into. Well, I saw that in a bag, and I felt like I needed to dip my hand into that bag, take it out, and no one would be none the wiser. 
I mean, let's face it. All these toys were sitting in a crate beneath the till. It wasn't even like being put out on the shelves for people to peruse. They are waiting for someone specifically like me to come into their store and take it off their hands. I'd be doing them a favor. They're obviously not trying to push this stuff. It's just in there because they happen to be a toy collector's paradise. And if you Mm. come to them, chances are you'll find something that you're looking for. Like, (laughs) I really felt in a moral predicament to just take the stuff. Take it! Don't give them give them a bit of money. Give them, you know, close to what they're asking for, but just keep pushing the button for freebies. Yeah, I think I think haggling is is, is definitely something you should do. Because what about, if it's not what about dipping into the bag and taking things? How about that? Well, there's ways you can handle that. <laughs> what if they fit so I, neatly I mean, into the palm of your hand? Well, I mean, if we did that, or I mean, I did that at the one factory toy shop, but and it wasn't even for something awesome. It was like to replace the, the, the neon yellow feels like gun or his flipper or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I opened the packaging and I took it. You bad, bad boy. Well, as a consolation prize to keep me, as a consolation prize to keep me from feeling too hard done by. I found the 1988 motorized action pack Minesweeper, and I said to the guy, look, can I have this for free? And he was like, yeah, okay. So clearly uh, I could have pushed the envelope a little bit more, but you know, at least I didn't walk away without any, any freebies. A stalk of 1983 swivel arm version and a Minesweeper, yeah, some, some, some small consolation for spending as many euros as I did on uh, used G.I. Joe toys. Mm. And let me just say that about the Minesweeper, what a cool little toy. Jeez, yeah. what a great piece. It is probably the best of the lot. I, I, I say so with you know, some limited experience of all of them, but this is, this is the bomb. And it really makes me a little bit irked by the fact that we had to the buy this cheaper. accessory separately Whereas in the same year, we received Lightfoot, who is a G.I. Joe ordnance disposal guide, like a, a G.I. Joe minesweeper. This should have been his accessory. To hell with that stupid, like, triangular red robot with no moving parts and one lenticular sticker. What is that thing? Like, it is, it is hopeless. R2-D2, it is not. This minesweeper, however, it's motorized. This minesweeper moves side to side. It comes with three small removable mines, very similar to the ones that you'd find in Tripwire's backpack, but like it enhances the toy. And it has a variety of ways of wearing it. The detector portion itself can pop out and become a handheld accessory. It mounts to the side of the pack, and you can carry it like that when it's being worn by the user as a backpack. It's just full of uses. And as I say, total missed opportunity not giving it to Lightfoot. I guess he's got his own mind protection so kit. Yeah, that that, yeah. that figure's accessories are all wrong. Anyway, I picked up G.I. Joe uh, Special Missions uh, Volume 2 and 3. What do you guys think of those? I want them. I think I've got three. I need two. Uh, I need two and four. No, I have one, two, and four, and I need three. 
Uh, I've been ordering it for over a year now, and it still hasn't arrived at the comic shop. Damn what it, did you take I could have sworn you said you had three, because I totally could have picked it up for you. No, oh, no, I said, when you told us about it, I said, that's like the only one I don't have. Well, I'll, 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 I'll trade you a three for a four. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, right. I'll lend it to you, yes. <laughs> Oh, okay. The observation that I'd like to make about special missions, though I do feel we need to devote an episode to it at some stage, is that it represents mm. some of the best writing Harmer ever tended for the G.I. Joe run. And we've touched on this before. Because the mm. events do not feed into some greater G.I. Joe continuity, and because they're typically one-shots, the level of attention to detail and intrigue Within these self-contained stories, it really just pays off so nicely. Mm. And also, and, in general, I find they're not as far out, like the plots. I, because I they like tend to deal with special missions. They deal with real-world yeah. political situations and hotspots and flashpoints of conflict sites around the world, mm-hmm. from Southeast Asia right through to the Warsaw Pact countries, right through to domestic U.S. Special missions always deal with the real world. And not, mm. not always dealing with Cobra, though Cobra does oftentimes crop up as they would. It situates both G.I. Joe and Cobra in an actual, real, kicking, screaming, blood-pumping world. Special Missions feels to me like the purest version of what I think G.I. Joe is. Mm-hmm. It's just them doing their thing, going up against Cobra or terrorists or whatever. It's not like worrying with huge plots and things. Yeah, there's no soap opera kind of. Yeah, it's just focused, you know. They Mm. would make an awesome like TV series, actually. I mean, that would be a really cool focus, is doing something like that instead of building like a huge Cobra plot the whole time. Yeah, because like often, like when I think of like GI Joe stories and stuff like that, I don't always want to think of Cobra being the pure like bad guy all the time. I don't always want to go. G.I. Joe against Cobra this, G.I. Joe against Cobra that, etc., etc. And and actually, it, it makes me think of something cool that I think Hasbro could have capitalized on. is They could have like released a whole subgroup, because now we're going to be talking about subgroups later. They could have released a whole subgroup of like different militia, you know, like from different countries or like sort of ragtag, or they could have done like realistic sort of terrorist militia. You know, they could have given them like some funny code name or whatever, but they could have made them non-Cobra bad guys, which would have been an interesting thing, you know, to do. So, you know, so as to give people a different, you know, focus, but they would never do that because it destroys their branding. But it just would be interesting, and which is why things like PTE has given us, and, and the core has given us interesting avenues to explore with, with regards to that, you know. Also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob might actually know this better than I do here. I'm not sure, Steve, I'm not sure how pleading you are with this, but those hardcover collections of the G.I. Joe Classic series that IEW mm. is re-releasing now. The Ultimate. And Hama, the Ultimate series that Harmer and Bellamo are sort of touching up. Um, as far as I know, they come with the uh, annuals and they come with special missions. But they're woven in, so they actually put them in in the the, the book as they came out, like mm. you know after the correct issue number. That's that is actually yeah, chronological. It's quite appealing. Mm. And that is actually have, why yeah, I, that's I, I sort of, pretty cool. They have to kind of spruce things up in order to warrant us 
buying the same issues again. again. And I again, know yeah. also that, uh, and this is something that they spoke about, I think it was in episode 88 of What's Certain Joe Mind, they interviewed Mark Bellamo, and he said that certain cosmetic elements have been changed to eliminate inaccuracies. For instance, mm-hmm. uh, in one of the early issues, I think it was in the, the late teens, uh, Clutch Goes Home the Hard Way. I don't know if you guys recall that issue, but it wasn't written by Larry Harmer. It was a filler issue, and in it, there was some confusion as to Doc's identity. Mm-hmm. Doc was apparently in the last couple of panels, and he was colored as a Caucasian who looked a hell of a lot mm-hmm. like Short oh. Fuse. So it was the glasses-wearing G.I. Joe but the white glasses-wearing G.I. Joe and not the African-American or black glasses-wearing oh, G.I. Joe. So someone obviously had the right. wrong action figure in his hands or, or was using the wrong reference point from previous issues. Yeah. Mm. Very possibly. And that kind of thing is cool. I also know that they've, and for me, this is kind of a cool thing, I'm sure it is for you too, Steve, is the, the file cards. They, you know, in the comics, they put in those file cards, those, like, dossiers, at the end of them, sometimes they would like, you know, it would have like snake eyes and then maybe one of the vehicles with some cool artwork. Those are also in the Ultimate Collections now, which they had taken out of the Classic Collection. Um, and I think that they were going to do some kind of supplemental book, which was meant to have all of those collected. But I don't think that ever happened. So now, yeah, so now they're ending up in the Ultimate which is pretty you cool, know, actually. You know, though, what I'm always finding myself missing when I'm reading mm-hmm. a, a trade paperback or a collected edition of G.I. Joe is the letters page. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely adore all those letters. Even Thomas Wheeler for the 200th time. You know that guy wrote in (laughs) after every single issue. Wow. I did not know that. That is pretty cool. Thomas Wheeler. Mr. Master. you're a champion. Yeah. Well done, sir. (laughs) Well, no, he's uh, he's a very intelligent man, and I, I do enjoy reading his reviews on The Master Collector. I think it is. It's it's interesting to see his development. Like he was always very astute, but obviously, you know, back in '82 or whatever, whenever he started writing, writing in, um, he was a child. So you watch this man develop through the letters pages of GI Joe. But aside from him, just uh, that massive like slew of no prize requests and the GI Joe editors growing dislike for these requests and just seeing this this story develop was almost more interesting to me at a stage than the issue itself (laughs) the drama playing out in those letters pages was thick (laughs) and every once in every while they'd they'd bother Mr. Harmer himself to try and respond to a particularly irate reader who was pointing out some inaccuracy in some minuscule panel at the bottom left corner of issue whatever, and uh, would get a personal response from the writer himself, you know, to try and assuage him and calm him down and tell him that he is, in fact, very politely wrong. Moron. (laughs) Yeah, keep him buying the comics. Brilliant. And if I can quickly, and if I can quickly jump in with a small little fun fact there, I'm sure a lot of people actually do know this, but in case you guys don't and the listeners don't, uh, Larry Harbour started off his career uh, drawing shoes for catalogs. One of his intentions was never to really be like an artist. He sort of um, just sort of got into that, and that's what he was doing. 
And that sort of segued into him going into comics and things like that. Now, when he was drawing shoes, the kind of commercial arts um, scene then was very like particular. They were very like pedantic about the, uh, the eye holes being drawn correctly, laces being drawn correctly, and stuff like that. Anyway, he actually noted that it's something that, that sort of crept into his art style, that he ended up becoming quite pedantic with certain details when he was drawing like some of the P-panels uh, for G.I. Joe, because sometimes Herb Trump and whoever else was drawing, and, and especially later on in the Joe line, um, Larry Harmon was actually sort of steering the artists by doing their thumbnails and laying out their thumbnails, and then they would go and pencil it in properly and then go and draw the stuff fully, because that would be Larry Harmon sort of shaping the vision a bit more for them. And that man's lived a very today, big way. life. The amount of stuff that we're only discovering now, what he drew shoes for he catalogs. He drew shoes for I catalogs, mean, yeah. Astounding. And I, I, read this, I read this on an interview uh, with his daughter, who's a fashion designer now. So he, he was quite pedantic and quite detail-centric, and he uh, is today still. And a lot of stuff came out when he was doing Bucky O'Hare, because he was doing a lot of the art heavy lifting on Bucky O'Hare. And apparently he would get guys to redraw pages because certain details just weren't, uh, they were, the continuity was lost. So I can imagine he took letters like that very personally. Uh, when somebody said, oh, something was wrong in this panel, something was wrong. And coming back to the Ultimate Editions, there it is again with him fixing things that have irked him for years. Like, for example, that um, Storm Shadow smashing through the, the window in the uh, Silent Castle and how that, cost, that window was never colored in or detailed correctly. That is apparently something that's no, irked him I, a lot. I know, I know what you mean. It's actually that cellar that he locks Scarlet in. Yeah, when he replaces the, the circular cover for yeah. the hole, it's not colored correctly. If it's closed, yes. it shouldn't have a light source coming through it. Yeah. I wish I had the comic in front of me right now. I'd be able to point you to exactly which panel, but but I, I know I know what you mean. Because yeah. on his Facebook, he actually posted some of those and then posted some of the changes. This was a few months ago, actually. And, uh, yeah, so I'm like, that's pretty cool. And, and coming back to my point of he would have taken those letters quite offensively, I think. And I think that he handled them very diplomatically because he's mentioned on a few occasions on Facebook that one thing that Stan Lee used to express to all of the, the creatives in the Marvel Studios was that you never know if the letter is coming from a pasty-faced comic nerd or if it's coming from a boy sitting uh, in a hospital bed, you know, living out the last few months, and that every letter should be responded with the same care, you know, sort of uh, sensitivity that you would if you had to reply to a kid in the bed. Every, every letter should be handled with care. Every letter should be thought out. So I was, it's funny I'd that actually, you mentioned that, because in a string yeah. of letters, he was actually being called out for being a bully. And then Larry went back over every letters page that he's personally re- put a response in and just sort of shrugged and said, I'm sorry, but I've been nothing but cordial in every response that I've ever given. And to his credit, I'd say he was right. Whoever was writing the, the letter was perhaps... Uh, overreacting a little bit but damn you really do win everyone over to your side let me tell you his penmanship is excellent but then again he's a writer and a very accomplished one at that uh, as well you know like we started off drawing shoes astounding Mm -hmm. anyway larry how about we have a quick fire topic Quick fire topic! 
Okay, I'm setting a stopwatch. Let's see how quick this quickfire topic uh, actually is. Here comes the topic. Gentlemen, what out of your collections is your favorite non-G.I. Joe item? And go. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, my absolute favorite, or can I list like two or three? You can list them, but you've got to pick one that takes the oh, top wow. honors. Difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is difficult. I mean, if I look at my collection, I, my collection is quite eclectic. I mean, I would say my Metal Gear Rex, and that is definitely, certainly a favorite. But then, in the same breath, I can also say my Falkyries, my YF-19 and my YF, um, and my VF-0 from Macross. You know, I love those very much, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you deliberate. Um, well, Rob, what's racing through your mind at this point? My non-Joe collection, I don't know, I think it's very, there's, there's a lot of things, but I think probably my favorite would probably be my 1-60 scale perfect grade Gundam Rouge from Gundam Seed, most expensive thing I've ever bought, <laughs> and it was just a, it was a joy to put it together and then see it finished. So there's that. I think that, or maybe like one of my like NECA figures, not my predator one but uh <laughs> <laughs> battle damaged <laughs> or uh, falling off action straight out of the package that's brilliant i think yeah so my top three probably yeah the moulin moulin rouge <laughs> the, <laughs> i was watching a review earlier of, of moulin rouge and uh <laughs> it's still stuck in my head so my gundam rouge and probably my dutch Arnie figure from NECA, and third one, yeah, my my Sideshow Sartan. So those are the top three. But he did send on Joe, so we can't even say something. Oh, shit. No, we can't. Oh. Sad. I think, but those are also very recent-ish ones. I'm struggling to remember, like, other stuff. But well... Here's Mr. Decisive in the flesh. This is my favorite. <laughs> you see if you can guess from, from what I'm about to do. <laughs> Not wise, upset a Wookiee. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so what is that? Your Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well said. Force is strong with me on this one. <laughs> I think for me, dude, to sort of try and put a nail in the coffin there, my Metal Gear <laughs> Rex. Yeah, yeah. The, the Rex. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's a very expensive piece. Uh, that's not what makes it my favorite. It's just that... That stunning um, railgun action. I mean, that is beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's got... It, it, let me put it to you this way. In order for me to have spent that much money on something means that I really do love it. And the Rex is something I really love. It's one of my favorite mech designs um, in across the entire spectrum of the sort of, you know, of pop culture. Um, I love it. It's very unusual. It's very rare. Um, they haven't made a lot of uh, figurines of the Rex. So it is one of my favorites. It is, it is definitely a unique collectible in, in the house. Um, I love that. Like, hands down, I love that toy. 
And yeah, and then I'd say good second best would be like my my Valkyrie, my Valkyries, because like, I I grew up. My first exposure to a Valkyrie uh, was the Tokotoka Toys VF1 uh, from 1984 or 85. For anyone who's not sure what we're talking about, it's uh, Robotech. Yeah, uh, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to Sorry. that. Sorry. I know it is Macross. <laughs> I know it is Macross. I watched Robotech, but when I watched Robotech as a kid, I watched the third season. So I never watched the original, or what a lot of people would call the original Robotech. So Macross was introduced to me as Macross. There was no like you know confusion uh, for me with, when I was a kid with that. So yeah, th- there was this toy and it was amazing. And David actually let me buy it from him, and that just yeah. And, and I mean that like when I was ten, eleven years old, this toy was like the coolest shit. But I couldn't play with it too much because I didn't want to break it. So as you know, that's kind of stuck with me. But now I've got cool ones. So yeah, and that Little is Jetfire, right? Ideas. It's Jetfire. It's exactly the same mold used for Jetfire uh, for the European release Jetfire, I believe, or the American release Jetfire. The European, well, American. Well, the one that sure. Hasbro put out yeah. as the Transformer Jetfire. That's correct. Yes, it's exactly that mold. Cool. Exactly that mold. Yeah, just um, gray and red, as opposed to white and red. Takatoka <laughs> yeah, Toys. Yeah, that's me. Takutoku Toys, which would later on be bought by Takara. Oh. Uh-huh. And then Brilliant. and then Bandai would actually go on to make that mold for a while as well. Interestingly enough, for for Transformers, they'd make that mold for Takara for the US release of G5. I never guessed that you would uh put a Valkyrie as your number one, bro. Rex, I um, kind of had a sneaking suspicion. No. I would have uh, thought uh, one of your dollies would have been up there, like a, a Batman. Uh, okay, cool. So Paul said that his favorite toy that is not a Joe or Cobra or G.I. Joe Cobra vehicles is his Valkyrie. And after deliberation, I decided that my favorite non-G.I. Joe toy is my masterpiece, Shockwave. Cool. <laughs> I know. Yeah, dude. It's- that Shockwave is sexy. If I had a Shockwave, yeah. he'd probably be my favorite toy. Excellent. Like, I, I still want that damn thing. Because, I mean, I have both, you know, the Masterpiece and then the reissue Shockwave. And I think they're they're Mm -hmm. both brilliant toys. But, like, this just takes it to another level. And it's still very true to the original. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mm. and it comes with Awesome Mix 1, 2, and 3. So, oh, it comes with Awesome Mix 1. Then you have to get Awesome Mix 2 and 3 separately. Exactly. (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the Guardians of the Galaxy inside joke, people. Go see that film That's if right. you haven't. Well, I'd like to see that film, but <laughs> my friend, he has some issue with train fare, so he's not coming out to watch it with me. I guess I'll go to him. Uh, that's, that's really nasty of that guy. I know, right? You think that after, after being away for so long, like he'd be dying to see me. Yeah. There might be something in it for him. <gasps> oh, God. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Space <laughs> in my luggage was tight, as usual. And that's probably why the Falcon is my number one. Why it edges out the competition. Because it's so freaking huge. And I bought it in the flesh. In 2009, I went over to Shanghai for work, and I had a wish list 
On that wish list, two of the items were Masterpiece Optimus Prime with Trailer and the Millennium Falcon, which had just been released a year prior as part of the Saga Collection, I think it was called. Managed to find that on day one. And it was Providence. I didn't have to shop around too much to determine that this was the one. It was competitively priced at a, a department store. So I bought it without thinking, hmm, how the hell am I getting this thing home? Especially considering <laughs> I was going home via Thailand. And uh-huh. I did not want to be lugging a two and a half foot Millennium Falcon on my back. So I dumped it in a locker at Hong Kong International Airport. Thankfully, it was there when I returned. <laughs> and uh, picked it up and reboarded the plane and off I went back to sunny South Africa. So it's traveled with me. Uh, I saved on shipping costs, which would have been perhaps the same cost as the damn Falcon itself uh, It's a ship. But I, 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 I did not save on embarrassment. Uh, when every single customs official wanted to have a look. <laughs> cool. Like, look like out of curiosity. Well, out of curiosity and to see if they could slap some kind of additional tax on me. Uh, and they would have succeeded because the value of toys that I brought back into the country exceeds the value of goods that you're allowed to. But, <laughs> quick thinking Stevie J, who was not quick thinking enough to take off all the price stickers, uh, managed to convince, managed to convince the customs officer that all the currencies were not in Chinese RMB, but in fact, Thai baht. Which, ah. to the layperson, means that it was a fifth of the value. Which oh, then put, oh, it, oh. put it very, very, very neatly under the maximum value allowed for ah. goods coming into the country. So yeah, well was sneaky, 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 but they're never going to get the best of me again, those bastards. Anyway, gentlemen, we managed to wrap that quickfire topic up in just under 10 minutes, I think. Uh, we'll see uh, after I've done editing it. Time to get into our main topic. Things we love to hate that we're going to fight very hard to find something we can hate to love in. If that made any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and through the total random process of elimination of my brain, I choose you, Paul, to tell us a little yep. bit about the Battle Force 2000. Battle Force 2000, wow. Probably, uh, as Steve has put it, it's something that I, I hate. I don't hate it as much as the Battle Barge, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but I don't like <laughs> Battle Force 2000. It's, it is my least favorite subset. It is horrible, and if it wasn't Battle Force 2000, it would be DEF, hands down. Although DEF has one or two things in it that I think have some reprieve. Uh, there, there are one or two. There are some merits in there. there. There are one or two figures in there that I think are pretty cool, actually. But anyway, let's start off with Battle Force 2 fracking thousands. Okay, put a BSG in there as well. Can you explain for the listeners and for my benefits what it is that irks you so about the BF2000? Like, okay. can you put your finger on exactly why it didn't work? BF2000, Blow Force 2000, uh, doesn't seem to be a G.I. Joe toy. 
it's kind of odd in that it never seems like they were made to be G.I. Joes in the first place. It seems like they were made to be some kind of space force or something that was maybe meant to be tied to some other uh, property that wasn't G.I. Joe, that obviously didn't get greenlit, but because of the toy uh, or the action figure boom of the 80s, got greenlit for figure production almost immediately. There is very little continuity as far as BF2000 goes. The aesthetics, that's the character designs, as well as the weapons, don't seem to be G.I. Joe-ish at all. They're quite far removed from what we are used to or familiar with in G.I. Joe, and primarily the fact that all of these things look like they're ray guns designed for some kind of, I don't know, space force or something. And that, that aesthetic kind of ruins it for me because it just seems very unmilitaristic. Another thing about all of these guys, if you guys pay some close attention, you'll see that none of them really have molded guns or anything strapped to them. They all have straps and like so-called body armor and, and things like that, but they don't really have molded weapons, molded guns, uh, which to me is evidence that this was never a line created for G.I. Joe originally. So that's one of my major things. It just doesn't feel like it belongs here. Maybe if it was another toy line, I'd appreciate it, but nah. I don't like the color scheme. They have very weird, spazzy is not really a technical term, but they have spazzy color schemes. I don't like them. They're just not as um, sexy as the Viper color schemes, even though some of the Viper color schemes are very loud. And um, they've got weird camo patterns. I mean, like like poor Avalanche, you know, looks like he's got like baby shit on him. You know, he's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's, like he's like pockmarked with like baby shit. And it's just weird. And his helmet is all it looks like a tit. It's not it's just not cool um, from the front. It's just it's not nice. Can I tell um, you a bizarre thing that I noticed about Avalanche? Mm-hmm. He's got Nunchaku on his left what? thigh. Yeah. Yep. Like, huh? On a future trooper, he's going to lay you down with a, a Nunchuck. <laughs> I mean, it's an effective weapon, but man, can you say anachronism? <laughs> Ciao. Anachronism. 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 Yeah, Um, exactly. Okay, so so those aesthetics aside, I don't feel that they belong in G.I. Joe, at least aesthetically. Then, my other major, major, major gripe is the vehicles. What the fuck? Sorry. (laughs) But, like, I don't understand. It's not like, these these are all, like, very horrible, single-press molded vehicles. As a Jeep, like, not knowing what Battle Force 2000 is when I was a kid... And I saw some of the stuff, I was just like, that's a really ugly Jeep, the BF2000 Eliminator. I mean, the hell, that thing's just ugly. It looks like a flat press mold vehicle. It's got, like, missiles that shoot the wrong direction. They're ready to incinerate the person standing behind them. You've got some piece that comes off here, the, the so, some so-called control unit. It, there's nothing snappy or sexy about it, you know I mean? You've got like vehicles like the Sea Ray and the Mean Dog, which most arguments would say, oh, they shouldn't split apart. But even their split apart p- feature is somehow sexier than BF2000's Black Plastic. Future Fortress. Gun. Yeah. Then you've got the Dominator, which is like a Russian doll. It opens up to be a smaller tank. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, so it's a big tank and it becomes a smaller tank with a really big turret. And it just looks retarded. I mean, I don't even know where you're supposed to put a dude here. Like maybe in under that green thing. I don't know. It just it just it evokes no excitement from me. I'm like, and it's white. It's just plain white, white, white. It's like white plastic. It's like a fucking Tupperware tank. It's just a cheap toy, and you can see it. And it looks like a moon tank, like some kind of lame moon tank. 
and I just don't like it. It just doesn't look like it belongs in the battlefield. It doesn't look like it can take too much. The the overall shape is okay, I suppose, but the split apart feature is what kills it. And I, I recently had the opportunity to sort of get one of these from a, a flea market in Florida, and I looked at it again, and I was like, I didn't even think it was a G.I. Joe vehicle. I sort of glanced over it a few times. I was like, oh, God, that's a that's a battle fail 2000 tank. <laughs> <laughs> the Marauder, okay, which I'm told is a motorbike, but it looks like it looks like the mean dog took a poop, and that's what the Marauder is. It's this, like, cumbersome motorbike rocket launcher with a half-track thing. It's just, it's also, it just seems odd. It's a, it's a very odd vehicle and okay ladies and gentlemen i'm not ignorant to the fact that this shit's all meant to go together to make some kind of loose space okay so i'm getting there i just feel like the play feature was sort of overemphasized at the sacrifice of the aesthetic and once again i come back to the i don't think this was made for gi joe the sky sweeper okay so one part of this is the sky sweeper what does it do it has two upward firing guns okay that's cool but, I mean, if you're going to call something a skysweeper, wouldn't you want to put wings on that? I don't know. It's just... It's, uh, the, it's an anti-aircraft tank. Yeah. Well, that's what it wants to be. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like... <laughs> Good luck hitting sophisticated uh, jet fighters with, like, a machine gun. I think. It's just... I mean, I'm being pedantic now, but they have foot pigs all over this thing, uh, the skysweeper. They have foot pigs all over this thing in the way of the gun. I mean, so some guy's going to stand here, and then a cobra is going to pop up, and then the driver's going to shoot the cobra through the dude that's standing <laughs> on the skysweeper. It's just silly. They, they just look... These things just look like... like um, for, for a force that's meant to be futuristic, a lot of this stuff looks very cobbled together and very unfuturistic. It's probably some of the most unfuturistic stuff in the entire G.I. Joe line. That's um, one of the criticisms that I have, and I mean, I was hoping to just sort of add these on to yours, because I don't know if we'll ever discuss the Battle Force 2000 in depth again. But yeah. I I have a problem with the designs being form with absolutely no function. Exactly. Like, if you're going to design futuristic toys, have the elements of their costuming and the elements of their vehicles follow on from some pre-existing technology. Do not make your jet pilot look like an extra from Flash Gordon with this kind of pointy V jumpsuit, like shiny silver bits. I mean, Maverick is a classic case of like, where is the functionality to any of these design elements? Yeah, Maverick looks like like he was he could have been a different mold for like barbecue or blowtorch or whatever. He also looks like just spaceman. Yeah, Spaceman 3. Not uh, a helmet that kind of inspires much faith in uh, the designer's forethought of, like, the direction that uh, jet fighter helmets were heading in. I mean, just, they didn't do their homework when they designed these toys, I feel. Yeah, no, I agree. absence fully. of forethought. And when you are going to make toys that are trying to be futuristic, you have to be looking to the future for your concepts. These are just pulled out of someone's ass. It's lazy. I, I fully agree. And, and that's uh, the problem. I mean, it's a very dubious function for a sub-team because all of G.I. Joe's equipment is futuristic. It yeah. started... I mean, by 1987, most definitely, things had taken a departure from very 
seriously based in reality military hardware and was now making fantastical you know new designs new concepts things that didn't exist anywhere really they were kind of spinning off the pages of science fact i mean even in the early days like the sky striker isn't just an f14 it's an xp f14 it's futuristic it's got got a whole bunch of you know sophisticated different systems that set it apart from the regular navy interceptor craft Anyway, exactly. Sorry, I didn't want to hijack your point, but no, 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 it's cool. But you made some cool ones there, and, and, and I mean, they... just to round it off, then, <laughs> if I may, the Drug fact race. that you're buying essentially vehicle drivers on a single card—that's mm. hell of a cheeky. I yeah, mean, that's vehicle cheeky. drivers. I was going to get into that. GI yeah. Joe set a precedent that a vehicle driver would maybe come with a helmet and perhaps a single accessory like a gun. Well, that's exactly I'm what you got with the F-2000. You got a no. guy, maybe a helmet or a microphone and a gun. Like, yeah. the guys were not a selling point unto themselves. You didn't get, like, a grapple hook pack and, you know, a flamethrower with a, a hose and a backpack and a, a thing and a thing and a thing. You were just getting mm. a basic, basic assortment that were, I mean, they would have gone a lot better with the vehicles and added some value to some rather bland and badly designed vehicles. Anyway. No, true. Okay, so another thing here as well is the Vindicator, which looks like a dustbuster. Okay. Horrible. It's, it's horrible. It does evoke some of the like sort of fang twos kind of design elements, but it's it's mostly horrible. And I mean it's it's you're it's sitting a low in these like seats, you know, exposed to the world. Is this supposed to see frontline use? Yeah. And I mean the, the like it it hasn't even got like a, a, a like a joystick you know slide with you know like a flight stick it's got like it looks like it looks like pigs that were designed to hold a canopy that they just didn't design because they realized it wouldn't fit and then you've got some like actually probably one of the coolest things in BF2000 is the little like black hovercraft thing maybe no it's not cool take that back <laughs> I don't know what that is it's got like <laughs> it's just not cool it's 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 it, it's a weird design. Like Steve said, now it's completely open. I mean, you're going to get shot at. You've got guns that sort of shoot away from from the place that you're going to get shot at. So you know the guns never like intersect or like cross over, or there's no chin gun or nothing. So you know there's a definitive sort of kill spot in the vehicle. Um, and also its purpose is kind of dubious as well. I mean, it's a low uh, it's a low attack craft. Well, then it probably needs armor. I mean, if it's going to be a low attack craft, give it armor. It's just odd. It's really, it's really odd, and it just—it looks like a dustbuster. I just can't get over that. It looks like something, like even the shape. It looks like it gets into those hard to reach places, you know. Well, it does <laughs> have those two fans on either side? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> then the, the future fortress is just a collection of of crap. I mean, I can put anything together and call it a future fortress. It's a whole bunch of guns facing outwards with a really bad, like, open spot in the back, like a nice little cold spot in the back, you know. You've got guns that are all elevated at a certain level that if guys had to run at them, they could literally crouch and make it through. Because <laughs> I think it's only the guns from the from the Vector that actually, you know, in the Astray, the, the arc is low enough to actually hit something. It just looks cobbled together. It's horrible. It's, um, like Stevens mentioned before, it just looks like it is pulled out of somebody's ass. It's horrible. The Vector, the jet. Okay. You, called, the vector you called it an ashtray. 
Yes. That's the turret that goes into the back of the vector. That's correct, yes. That reminds me of something, but I can't quite place it. I think it was a board game called Boggle or something like that. Oh, and yes, with the... You'd yeah. put, they were like the, the shape of die, and you'd put yeah. these, these things in, into like a, a clear domed thing, which looked like that, which looked like the yeah. vector's ass, uh, and you'd shake it, and these cubes would fall into slots and would you know, have to do a sort of a word scramble because it was mm. printed letters on all of these cubes. I think the game was called Boggle. But that is exactly what I think of whenever I see that thing. Yeah, it just reminds me of an ashtray and it tries to do what the Condor does. It's got like a, although I think this predates the Condor, um, but it's got the rear firing portion on the jet. Um, I imagine the thrusters are those green things at the back of the jet. Um, I don't know. Uh, for all I know, they could just be decorations because this, this whole line is about decoration. I, I will say this. In the entire BF2000 vehicle range, I think the Vector is probably the sexiest. Uh, it's probably the best looking and probably has the best sort of design elements to it. But then mm-hmm. it's got that ashtray at the back. You know? Yeah, it's the only G.I. Joe jet with junk in the trunk. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's okay. rear-firing... And I mean, um, it's got a tail gun. I know. (laughs) (laughs) As far as I know, and it's not really listed, but the pulverizer uh, was meant to be a Battle Force 2000 thing as well, with its little um, squidgy thing, cannon uselessness. You know the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So that was, I remember that being listed as Battle Force 2000 on the box, but it's not really Battle Force 2000 because, okay, yes, it's crap, which means it falls into the aesthetic. But it doesn't like become part of the future, you know, fast fortress. You could probably park yeah. it right in the middle. But hey, like <laughs> just like you said, man, it's just a collection of things cobbled around each other. So you could take any GI Joe vehicle and kind of add it to the fortress. Just park it right there. Yeah, like so on the other wagon, you know. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And then this is what boggles me. It's like, what are you supposed to do with all the other vehicles now? Like, so you're taking the ass end of the vector out. So you like, so what? Do you just park the vector somewhere? The Marauder bike by itself, the bike is not really too too effective. Because now, now you've got this base, but now you've got nobody to populate it because everybody's driving their respective, you know, suicidal vehicles around, okay. except for the dude in the tank. So, I mean, yeah. So, I think you have yeah, successfully but, killed the Battle Force 2000. But, okay, the top... But, now I'm going to talk about what I like. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Vector Jet. <laughs> okay. The Vector Jet was the, was the opening there. I, I will say that the Vector Jet is actually pretty cool. And G.I. Joe has some really amazing jets, and the Vector doesn't quite reach the pedigree, but, hey, it's another jet. It could have been a battle barge. It's not. It's cool for that reason. It's got some design features. The Astray connector that comes off the back. Listen, if I got a, if I got a Vector, and I would use that Astray for, like, I'd put it with the HQ or something, <laughs> <Ash>. you know. <laughs> Stopping out the smokes, man. Yeah, man. I'd, I'd put it with the HQ. I'd never do that to a G.I. Joe vehicle. That's like tantamount to putting five something. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I could find some use for it. Without a doubt, and I think we all are in agreement here in G.I. Joe book, Dodger is probably the coolest of all of them. He has the uh, aesthetic of a Terran Marine or a Space Marine from Alien, Aliens, rather. And uh, he looks pretty cool. I mean... He, he's a well-done figure. He's kind of military. You could take him, for example, and, and assimilate him with your, your G.I. Joe forces. Um, he does seem, although his aesthetic doesn't match entirely, he, there is something cool about him. 
the um the microphone is pretty awesome. I like those little details. It's it, it isn't it gives him a, an interesting scale. And it's pretty cool. His gun is not I'm not a fan of his gun, but I think if you gave gave him like a cool machine gun, he would look cool. He would be he would be a pretty decent Joe. He'd be fun to play with and everything. And then my, one of my favorites from this line, surprisingly, is Blocker. I like Blocker. Once again, I think it's just he falls into the correct aesthetic. He's got a nice visual thing going for him, a DC brown and sort of dark gray. And he reminds me a little bit of, um, I think it's Rampart that would come out a little bit later. Rampart, in a weird way, seems like a nod to Blocker. Uh, Blocker's got that little visor that goes over his eyes. It's kind of cool, that Australian dude that comes with the uh, hang glider. I can't remember his name. Skymate. Skymate. Skymate is very similar, has a similar aesthetic, which is pretty cool. And I think out of all of them, at least for me personally, I find Blocker to have the least offensive gun out of all of them. And it's got like a like a shoulder harness. So that's pretty cool. So it's kind of a, a play feature uh, with him. Those are my two favorites. If I was forced, and, and maybe you know, in the future down the line, I might pick up Dodger and Blocker for myself so that I can at least have a piece of VF2000 in my collection so that it's at least sort of semi-complete. And I think these two would, would definitely make it. Okay, interesting thing, just I'm going to mention about one or two of these figures. Two of them have pointy shoulder pads, okay? Um, it's not a terrible aesthetic. Uh, I'm sure that the like uh, a slightly adventurous Joe collector or, or Joe fan could actually find use for these two guys in some of the like um, Sky Patrol lines. I would take Maverick, for example, and I would put him in the Sky Patrol guy ribbon. He doesn't fit. Um, I, he doesn't fit. Doesn't he? Doesn't Breaks he my fit. heart. I bought him thinking I'd put him in there. He doesn't fit. That is uh, not cool. You see, one cool. of the only uses, one of the few things that could have made Maverick cool, that could have redeemed Maverick, is that he could have actually gone in that jet. Okay, well, then he would just have to go, if you have the Crusader or the Defiant Launch Complex, he would be cool to put in there. I think he would, he would fit the aesthetic. He would be cool. You know, he could keep payload company... So, you know, you've got another figure that could pass off as an astronaut. So this this whole space aesthetic does have its positives in that you could use it with, with that playset. Uh, uh, he's going to the backseat of the Phantom X-19. I think he's on the box art. Oh, sweet John. That's another one, actually. I didn't think of that. Uh, I, I I kind of think of Ghost Rider exclusively in that. So that's another positive. I like that. Though I always um, imagine it's a bit of a fuck you for a pilot and therefore yeah. the captain of a aircraft to yeah. uh, be made to ride back seat which He's is a pilot. sort of yeah. a technician's job yeah but you know uh, but I mean Maverick he's really just got got no home unfortunately other than the vector true. jet yeah which he suits um, with his aesthetic but you know uh, we're not going to go there we've already been there Blaster uh, I suppose with his girdle uh, it's very sexy. I think one of the... It is. It's very sexy. He's got a girdle. It's it's pretty. It's actually highlighted, so he likes to wear his female underwear on the outside. Um, <laughs> Blaster's trying really hard to be in the military and that he wears green clothing and um, some camo stuff. And then he's worn his like purple luck bracelets on his left hand and his mismatching gloves because his failed career as a um, synth pop musician sort of led him into G.I. Joe, apparently. I'm making this up. But his redeeming quality is his head. I think the head sculpt is very cool. The helmet is actually pretty cool. And the, the face mask definitely adds something. I actually feel that 
it's sad that it was wasted on the BS2000, but that specific head sculpt could have been used for a, a cool pilot figure later down in the line. But hey, while we have Blaster, that's one of the, the positives. That If I was a kid and I only had like a few toys in front of me to choose from and Blaster was one of them, that face mask would be one of the selling points. I would be like, oh, he's so cool, he's got a face mask. The big silver gun, it's not the most offensive thing, I suppose, but it's not the nicest. It, it's just huge. It's like a it's like a, a Rob Leefield gun, you know? Oh, yeah. Rob mm-hmm. Leefield. It's very Rob Lee, uh, Liefeld or Leefeld, whatever. Hey, I got but, me a cable while I was over there. Yeah. This guy was a cool next to your cable toy. You know, he looks like he's from the future. He's like a <laughs> Joe from the future. You could, you could like, probably take Blot and do some Joe, G.I. Joe's from the future thing. And then, uh, lastly, oh, I suppose Avalanche. Avalanche looks great in snow vehicles. You could put him next to um, Blizzard, and it's pretty cool. Uh, and you could put him in the snowcat if you need a, a secondary driver or whatever. I think that would oh, yeah, be pretty like cool Yeah, like in Special him. Missions 21. There we go. Avalanche has the benefit, at least, of being a snowtrooper. And, um, I mean, he is a snow vehicle driver. He just works well as a snowtrooper driver. So, I mean, if you manage to get him in a toy lot and you don't know what to do with this toy other than display him behind other toys where you don't want your friends to see him, I, I think he could get some... I think he could find some respect, at least, in the snowcat or the actual Avalanche. <laughs> okay. Or the... Um, what is that? That cool... Um, the Arctic boss or something. He could be like the Peter Pilot. He could like hold a gun or something. You know, he's not, he's not without his uses. And Case unfortunately, point, he, the mm-hmm. mini vehicle that comes with the Avalanche snow tank, mm-hmm. that like little hovercraft, mm-hmm. that is better than the Vindicator. It uh, is it's a better toy. It's got a canopy. It's got opening mm-hmm. and closing missile racks. It's like. That is the secondary vehicle of a larger Joe vehicle, and it's better than something that they put out in its own box. Like, totally. Uh, fucking Battle Force 2000. You're so no, crap. Totally. And I mean, <laughs> like, and then we come down. We, you know, we've got Knockdown, which I feel Knockdown can kind of um, work with Maverick in terms of a spacey kind of thing. Knockdown looks like he's a friend of Captain Gradine's. He just does. Actually, I would probably put Knockdown if I had to. I'd probably use him in the Mean Dog as a as like a, one of the support gunners or something. I think he's he's aesthetic seems to to match the Mean Dog in a weird way. Um, if I have to try and force him into my Joe lot somewhere, to be fair, he's actually got a decent head sculpt. He's got quite like a long head. He looks like a bit of a badass. You know, he's he, you know he's got that going for him. Uh, he's got this weird asymmetrical uniform, which uh, is something that seems to be quite common amongst the whole BF2000, with the exception being Maverick. And uh, DJ, I think, to a point. And Knockdown's got a pretty awesome helmet. It's an odd thing to point out, but removable helmets are pretty cool on, on Joe's, for me at least. And his is pretty awesome. You could also kind of bring him into some kind of force. He could work with Dodger or work with Maverick. You know, I can I can make him work that way. Um, and that would be pretty cool. And then lastly, we have DJ. DJ, surprisingly, doesn't offend me as much as most Joe collectors. I would never go out of my way to own DJ. I must be honest. But I do kind of like the card art, <laughs> um, and I and I do like his his gun, that that red gun. I do really like that, and I would I'll tell you why. I think it makes a very cool Cobra weapon. That is the kind of weapon that I would play. I'd use in a story arc where it's some kind of like really well designed laser or shrink ray or something, and and I can make that like a plot element in in a play pattern, for example. I would make that like some kind of special secret gun, because it is so unusual and and it's actually quite 
it's kind of attractive in in that it's a bit alien. So that's something to go for. It's also probably the much the most dramatic color choice in the entire BF2000 line because it's red. That blue giant suppository, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. I'm not entirely sure what that's meant to be. I think it's, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's a um, sonic weapon. To DJ, it's a sonic weapon. So when he says fuck and all that stuff, people die. But um, <laughs> DJ, I mean, he hails from Boston. Boston is responsible for some really cool synth pop. I'd give that to DJ. I think that's pretty cool. If I had to do a G.I. Joe house party, DJ would be my number one figure for that for that whole thing. I mean, I could have DJ rocking the decks uh, or the MIDI controllers, and he can be playing the cold slither party. So that's DJ's, you know, sort of a thing. That's that's where he gets things. But ultimately, not a lot really happening for DJ. I think DJ works well as an Arctic Trooper. Okay, to finish this off, a little bonus that I just wanted to add to this quickly. Um, some things that I think could have saved uh, Battle Force 2000. Steve mentioned it earlier, you've got a whole set full of vehicle drivers. I think if these guys have been released and separate carded uh, figures came with um, actual like backpacks or some kind of play feature, and that play feature could be merged together to make some kind of vehicle, like some kind of drone vehicle or some kind of supercomputer thing, I think that would have been way more interesting. I think adding one or two known Joes to this line, like like uh, Lightfoot, like, um, I know Lightfoot's not very popular, but having added Lightfoot to this line and giving him maybe a gun or something would have maybe added some kind of uh, credence to this line. It would have given it something extra. It would have given it some real Joe kind of flavor. And um, Stephen might cringe when I say this, but the Skystorm, the helicopter, is a very cool futuristic helicopter, as is the Avalanche, which is a very cool Arctic tank, which Rob now owns. And I think these two vehicles should have been Battle Force 2000 vehicles because they are way cooler in terms of G.I. Joe designs. They've got a futuristic aesthetic to them, um, but like sort of realistic, you know, a few weeks in the future kind of thing. And I think that would have worked. I think that stuff could have saved Battle Force 2000. And, or um, you're getting it the wrong way around. And the fact that those vehicles exist point to exactly how redundant the Battle Force 2000 concept is. Well, like exactly the G.I. Joe mainline has its own, like, off-the-wall futuristic vehicles. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, what is your speciality? Uh, I'm from the future. <laughs> you know? uh, <laughs> What's that? <gasps> we just found it. That's Battle Force 2000. They come from yes. an alternate timeline. They come from the future. <gasps> yes. That that's, could that's be how interesting. Be yeah, that, uh, that could be how it could be fixed. Like, G.I. Joe is from a future timeline, and... And then just something to... And they're so hokey and rubbish. Well, <laughs> like, it's a big joke. It's like, what? We're like this in the future? We're fucking saps? Yeah, With silver ray guns? Good. And like exposed <laughs> hovercraft cockpits? It's like, you're going to get killed in that thing, buddy. I don't know. Did they put an end to all wars? Because uh, you're, you're going down, pal. You need some armor paint. They just realized what bad shots Cobras were. And they're like, ah, this just look cool. We're not even trying anymore. We're just going to have completely <laughs> exposed cockpits because we're never going to hit hit. As <laughs> um, a weird serendipitous little twist in this um, podcast, as, as some of these things tend to happen on the shows, as I was looking at the Avalanche and talking about Avalanche, the Sonic Fighters occupy the same uh, double-page spread, and guess what happened to Battle Force 2000's weapons? Law <laughs> has got Avalanche's like hokey laser gun thing here. Oh, and as it's well as And it's got Maverick's gun. Dodger has got... Well, Dodger's still alive. 
<laughs> Josh has got his old gun, plus he's got DJ's gun, because DJ went on to, you know, DJ crew in the sky. Old Dialtone's got, yeah, Blocker, he's got Blocker's gun. So at least they got the cool, some of the cool stuff. Oh, when I say some of the cool stuff, they got two of the cool things from the from the line in the future. So it's kind of weird. We've got our G.I. Joes in the future, 1990 to be exact, and they've got the guns from the B-2000. <laughs> Guys, it's kind of odd. Anyway, just had to throw that in there. It's an interesting tidbit. Well, but you yeah, said it yourself, on. man. They've nicked them off their dead bodies. I mean, <laughs> what is the best thing about Battle Force 2000? They're all dead. <laughs> They're all dead. They're dead. <laughs> But yeah, guys, so mm. don't feel bad if you got a whole bunch of Battle Force 2000 uh, for Christmas. I just I just hope that I made you feel a little bit better for having them. And also really glad you have them and I don't. Hey, man, look at the bright side. Every vehicle has more seats than just one operator can uh, sit at. So, you know, yeah, that, if you've got an true. MCC, you've got two other seats next to Steamroller to occupy. So put in some Battle Force 2000, guys. Have you got a Thunderclap? Yeah, yeah, totally. Put some Battle Force 2000 guys on that. Is your mean dog looking like it needs some crewmen? Put some Battle Force 2000 on that. <laughs> Rolling Thunder, same story. You see where I'm going. They're all vehicle drivers. Give them some good vehicles to man and forget about them. Put them in a yes. closed hatch and get on with your life. Yeah, totally. Totally. Paul, I don't think you've really saved the BF2000 for me, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, I did, because now you've just said how you're going to take all your BF2000 figures and put them in all the empty spots in your vehicles. And, you know, it's so much cooler to have filled up spots in your vehicles than it is to have empty spots. Yeah. Yeah, so I totally saved them for you. Thanks. Hell, I mean, you can even have, like, Super Trooper the Cylon over here. You can put him as part of BF2000. <laughs> I saw that figure in Dublin, actually. Needless to say, I did not get him. Looks like a Cylon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am trying to redeem the DEF, the Drug Elimination Force. And this is very difficult for me personally because I'm a vehicle guy. I like the vehicles from the line. The figures are just occupants for the vehicles in the line. My main thrust when playing with G.I. Joe toys is vehicular. So the DF really strikes out before they've even walked onto the pitch, so to speak. Wow. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd be able to well, pull off Steve's the baseball the reference. As far as vehicles go, if you could even consider it Drug Elimination Force, because it does also fall under the Battle Corps, the Shark 9000, it's a decent boat. It's certainly unique in that it's G.I. Joe's only real boat, only real answer to the Moray Hydrofoil. Mm-hmm. But I don't like it particularly. I had it very early on in my collecting career, but it doesn't really blow my hair back. Uh, I suppose it's just got a weird design with that top turret on a f- sort of bridge that flies. I mean, it's doesn't really fly. I mean, it's like an airfoil. It's like a giant wing. 
over this boat, and I, I I prefer a more conventional boat hull. And like the guy's legs are dangling anyway. I digress. It's not a great vehicle. It's not a jewel in the crown, so to speak. So I'm considering mainly the figures, and they came out in 1992. Some of them are new characters. Some of them are rehashes of old characters. But all of them are marred by some other thing. Not least of all, having these BFGs, these massive spring-loaded <laughs> launches that light up. I mean, it's just... Ugh. Is that your gimmick, really? I suppose they couldn't include, like, I don't know, actual, like, narcotic <laughs> accessories for them to bust. <laughs> or, but like, you know what the irony is, right? Like, what is sorry, the Steve. You could take these guns to raves. I mean, you could go to Cytron's party and these things are blinking. And I mean, if somebody's tripping balls on acid or something, you could keep them well entertained for a while. I mean, these figures just help to enhance a, a drug-induced experience. Mm, I suppose you, you know could make like a charm, a charm necklace out of DEF accessories. Yeah, okay. man. So, I mean, that, that's something. In my research, I uncovered lie. the fact that DEF have a lot to thank cops for. Now, Cops was another toy line put out by Hasbro in the late 80s. And actually, they had file cards written by Larry Harmer. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but they are pretty cool toys. Some of the characters are crossovers. Bulletproof was the Cops leader. Uh, there was a mace. There was also a long arm. So the characters are actually crossover characters. And interestingly enough, there's a character called Checkpoint who is Wayne Sneedon III. His file card alludes to the fact that he had a relative who was a member of an anti-terrorist task force in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> uh, because yeah. COPS is set in 2020, I think, or around about there, so into the beginning of the 21st century. So this um, reference to the fact that his father was a member of a top-secret military team in the 80s and 90s is a reference to Beachhead who is also mm -hmm. Wayne Sneedon. Sneedon. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of cool, actually. So there are, like these, there are these linking factors. I mean, that I wouldn't say that redeems the DEF at all, but it's interesting to note that there was a little cross-medium referencing. I think what I yeah. find most offensive about DEF is, like the Ecoforce, it is a subset that is essentially just a toy embodiment of a PSA. It's like, don't do drugs, kids. The G.I. Joe team are there, and they want to stop you from taking drugs. Real heroes don't do drugs. I mean, it's so loaded, and it's it breaks the fourth wall in a way that I'm not comfortable with in G.I. Joe. Mm. I don't like the fact that G.I. Joe are hanging up their anti-Cobra mission to clean up the streets from drugs. It kind of throws G.I. Joe into a plot line that does not interest me in the slightest. Also makes them very preachy. Absolutely. Like, why would they care about what you do on a street level? I mean, their job is completely different. Well, I mean, look at the bigger picture. You're using G.I. Joe as a PSA. You're using it to reach out to young people who are perhaps, you know, encountering drugs. I mean, that was never my reality, so... The DEF concept kind of fell flat. And I think even if I was mixed up in illicit substances at that stage of my life, the last thing I'd want is to go out and buy an action figure that, as you say, had a very preachy 
point of view. Not a very well, understanding. Be it's like, drugs. if you do drugs, GI Joe's gonna come and kick your ass. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like, not that you're gonna buy the toys anyway, because you're gonna be buying crack or something. You know. <laughs> the designs are pretty poor. I mean, it is 1992 after all, but like, just off the top of my head, Mace and Muskrat both mount their BFG launchers on their helmets. <laughs> now, the sight of a gigantic spring-loaded missile launcher, which is already out of scale, being mounted on a character's head is is truly a shocking thing to behold. I mean, <laughs> taking into account the kind of recoil you'd have firing off one of those gigantic missiles, it's going to take your head off, literally. And it just looks so unwieldy. I mean, imagine trying to get through a doorway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the file no. card writing was completely in the toilet by this point in the line. Completely. Mm. Well, I mean, Larry uh, Homer was writing file cards for, like, I think, cops. I think Larry had stepped off the duties by this stage. And the most laughable thing I find about this era of G.I. Joe file card writing is the inclusion of the motto. <laughs> Here's a random selection of mottos from the DEF. From the headhunters, which are headman's narcotics guard. If anyone so much as looks at headman the wrong way, we'll just have to adjust that person's vision by knocking his lights out. Literally. <laughs> it's just, it's so on the nose. It's, I mean, this ain't Hemingway, that's for damn sure. It's so <laughs> clearly <laughs> written and so puerile. I just, ugh. What do you expect a motto to be? It should be eloquent. It should be uh, succinct. It should embody a whole host of things instead of just being like a phrase that a guy says. If you mess with our boss, we're going to punch you out. I suppose it points to the fact that these guys might not be the smartest. No. 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 The cartoon that highlights the drug problem. (laughs) Oh, with uh, oh, with Falcon. <laughs> with Falcon and his his fix. <laughs> and I hate it because one of the things that really pisses me off about that actually is that he gets over his drug problem really quickly. So he actually makes the drug thing worse because they talk about addiction and he becomes like a real dickhead and then Duke turns his back on him. Duke is all like, well, fuck you. I'm not going to help you because like you're my brother and now you're in drugs. I'm like, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to turn my back on you. And then Falcon's all by himself here, and he's, like, looking for his, like, his next fix. And then, at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, he's saved from his addiction. He's, like, miraculously saved. And him and this other chick, who happens to be the daughter of some Crimson Guardsman, they both come out of their addiction together. So, I mean, all he's done is he's proven exactly what happens to addicts. They go to a drug rehabilitation center, they meet somebody else, okay, who has somebody else they can get drugs through. They become very happy, they leave together... And they get like, they get high and then all of their like shitty family who like has now rejected them, leave them alone and then they rot and then they come into restaurants trying to sell you like stupid plush animals and beg you for money and tell you they're going on school trips. I mean, that kind of cartoon perpetuates that behavior. I hate that. I hate that they make it seem like addiction is so easy to get over. You know, and I think that that does more damage than the high plush toys saying they're going on school trips. Paul, your level of sensitivity to the world's drug problem is astonishing, may I just say. 
I'm sorry, but like it is <laughs> almost as astonishing as Bulletproof's uh, motto. Oh man, another literary masterstroke. I don't believe in any magic charms. I'm just really careful, and I practice shooting every day. <laughs> That's his motto, guys. Come on, <laughs> who wrote this shit? Gristle says, "I go crazy when those GI Joes come after me. They just keep chasing and chasing and chasing." One interesting little thing that jumped out at me, you know how the file cards at this stage used to have like a numbered list of things that the action figure features, Mm. not that they're really features, but it points out the sculpt details and little things. Well, on Mm. Mutt and Junkyard's file card, okay. Overlook the fact that his net trap launcher is called a sophisticated dual-firing net launcher. Yeah, so sophisticated, they had them in the Bronze Age. (laughs) Number six points to his right shoulder, and it says, Protein-enriched, energy-boosting dog biscuits. (laughs) And I shit you not, he's got sculpted dog biscuits attached to his flak jacket. Holy shit. It's, it's, so it's he crazy. gets high on Scooby Snacks as well. So it's for the dog, hell. dude. Oh, yeah, shit, it's for the dog. Like Scooby Snacks are for Scooby. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so I'm supposed to redeem this somehow. And it's yes. quite difficult when you're dealing with <laughs> Headman. I mean, oh, he looks like that fucking Hamburglar. And, yeah, no, indeed. And, like, back in the late 90s when Dio Stories was booming, Headman made for everybody's custom random suit-wearing guy number one. So that sculpt saw a lot of use. But if I'm to try and truly redeem the DEF, it's in the shape of, and perhaps if you're familiar with the DEF, you know what I'm about to say, but the Headhunter Stormtroopers, which were released okay. in the 1993 wave, attached to the, the Battle Call, but he still had a DEF slants because he's one of the Headhunters. That sculpt is cool. It's a good-looking mm-hmm. figure. I'd much prefer it if it was used as some kind of upgrade to the Range Viper, because, let's face it, it does have a Range Viper kind of aesthetic, especially in the, the skeletal-looking face mask. I mean, the accessories are garbage. You need to throw those away immediately. But the base figure is a damn fine figure. And it it's with some regret I find he comes out of this third faction. The Headhunters and their place in the G.I. Joe mythos as drug pushers is hokey at best. I mean, your your drug pushers do not look like armored riot cops with spikes and a skull for a face. Like, it's just, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't feel authentic. It's an area that I'm not comfortable, as I say, for Joe to be uh, forging into. But the figure, the fact ba- that none of them comes with a tiger. Sorry, dude. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they just don't have a very realistic look at all. But even the headhunter has a few thorns in his side. For instance, they are billed as the elite group of rapid assault, specially trained urban terrorists. 
who oversee large criminal operations. That implies that not only are they entrusted with some kind of leadership capacity, but they're regarded as the elite. Not even a few lines down, it says, and I quote, They do have weak points. They are slow and forgetful and an easy target for G.I. Joe to track down. Mm. I mean, you've just said that they're the elite guys, that they're running the show. But no, they're slow and forgetful. Who writes this garbage? Mm. Interestingly to note that the spikes that protrude from their uniform is a specialized attribute so that they're difficult to tackle. (laughs) (laughs) So they might be slow Uh, and forgetful, but uh, G.I. Joe better not try and tackle them because then they'll get the the spiked suit. Talking to you, Gridiron. It'll be like wrestling a porcupine. Oh, the 90s. Oh, the 90s are so blighted. Then the second redemption that I have for the DEF comes in the form of Longarm. He is a fantastic sculpt. He just has the wrong specialty. Mm. He's billed as a first strike specialist, which is kind of strange because in just a year prior, DEF enlisted Shockwave, who is the resident door kicker of the G.I. Joe team. Mm. Only to now be superseded by Longarm, who says that I'm always the first one into the firefight, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Apparently, he wears this gigantic bulky suit because he goes through the door first, so he's getting shot at whoever's on the other side. And then his other guys are coming in right behind him with all guns blazing. He says in the file card, he's got to keep a sharp eye out for crossfire because while they're shooting at him from the front, the Battlecore team is blasting their way in from behind. Talking about being sandwiched between a rock and a hard place. If he wasn't so fast, he'd be lunch meat. I was about to say, first in, first out, yeah? That is a terrible tactic. And a terrible misuse of a great sculpt. Because why? Okay, I know you're going to say Space Trooper, but I'm going to say Bomb Squad. This oh, guy looks like... That. He looks like Lightfoot should have looked. Uh. If you're going to be yeah. carrying a minefield, you better be wearing a bomb suit. No, totally. He looks very cool. He looks very, like, decoed up for EOD. I've actually looked at this figure a few times. The blazing orange does um, put me off him. But it's hard. It's difficult to see his sculpt, you know, like, properly. Mm. Because of that blazing orange. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about the DEF. Um, you know, it, it has given us absolutely appalling versions of muskrats, appalling versions of law, and one of my favorite original sculpts, Shockwave, is just garbage. I mean, he's got mm. this doofy head sculpt, and <clears throat> granted, they kind of resurrected that sculpt later on and made him fast draw, and, and that worked, but in its DEF incarnation, I'm not a big fan, hey? I, I understand, but I mean, as far as DEF goes, you know, the the colors the color schemes are fairly muted for some of them. I mean, especially in Shockwave and Mutton Junkyard, they're fairly muted. They're not like too obscene, you know. And Cutter with these orange, uh, I mean, it makes sense, you know, because of the whole life jacket aesthetic. So at least he's also not too offensive as a base figure. But I, I, I see what you mean about guys like Bulletproof, and I see what you mean about Muskrat. I mean, Muskrat is crazy. <laughs> um. You know what? You know who I should think should have been part of Headhunter's gang? 
is there's a Battlecore member, is a G.I. Joe, he's called Snowstorm. Okay. He should have totally been part of but the he's Joe. I know, but he's called Snowstorm. <laughs> We're gonna get a snowstorm up in here tonight, bitches! <laughs> White lines <laughs> blow away. I mean, he's got a full glass face mask so that he doesn't get stuck in the snowstorm because he still wants to count his money. You know what I mean? On, what, what if he's got a, you know, his own supply? Yeah. It's so it's like, a, it's like a snow cone. Oh no, what? <laughs> snow, snow globe. He just shakes his head around in there. <laughs> I, I had to add that. Yeah, Steve, um, listen... Dude, you sold me on a long arm for the most part. Lung autumn? I think I like <laughs> it. Is it a lung autumn? Which, incidentally, oh, listeners, is the name of. The lung autumn or long arm is an Afrikaans folksy dance. Mm hmm. So. It's very, much, it's very much like a square dance, kind of. Well, not the square dance, but the actual. Yeah, right, it doesn't matter. The redeeming figure for me in this is definitely the headhunter stormtrooper. I think he really is cool, and I have to fully agree with what you said about him in terms of the cool stuff, you know, about him. He looks like a hardcore kind of range viper upgrade, and he's definitely one of the toys I'd pick up from this. Like, I'd actually go out of my way to, wait for it, headhunt him. That's right. I did that. You see what I did there? Woo! Woo! Well, Paul and I happen to like the Dreadnoughts, so we don't That's need to be true. sold on definitely whatever not. it is that you're going to come up with. Basically, yeah. I had to try and find for myself something that I like about them. Yes. Did you succeed? I, I I managed to find things that I found interesting about them after I looked over them all as a group. So I have a few things I can say. I have made my, <laughs> my enmity, my hatred for the Dreadnoughts known. I don't think they fit into the Cobra forces. I think they're unnecessary and superfluous. But as a group... At least they, there's a sort of consistency, you know, like they went with it. They said, this is what these guys are. And, there's a, you know, there's a running theme of they're very, in general, stupid people. And they have terrible personalities and they have terrible character traits. So, I mean, at least they're very consistent. As a group, they, they, they seem like a very interesting bunch of people. You, you might actually want to know their stories. So I think outside of Joe, if they were a group of like roughnecking people, they're very interesting. I think that's quite cool. Uh, that's something where BF2000 and DEF totally fall short. There's nothing memorable about either of them, character-wise. Yeah, and because G.I. Joe, I mean, the, you know, the vintage line, they always, almost all the characters are very unique-looking. The Dreadnoughts, every single one of them is, is unique-looking. I mean, they, they're very different. I mean, they're different, but they're also unified in the fact that they all look very dirty and rough and just unprofessional. Mm. <laughs> and showing off their midriffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, I'll tell you what my favorite Dreadnought figure is, and he's definitely showing some midriffs. So, yeah, I like the consistency of it. And also, I like the type of weapons they have. You know, it's generally melee weapons or close quarters weaponry, and they're also very unique. Now, like, there's a chainsaw and a chain axe with buzzer, and torch comes with a cutting torch, um, and thrasher comes with a lacrosse stick. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get a little sports in between hitting people. A <laughs> uh, road pig, you know, this cinder block hammer. Uh, and I love that. I mean, there's one or two, there's one or two exceptions, you know. Um, 
with the Norga High coming with the with the rifle, uh, um, and also Roadpick coming with the crossbow. But in general, they're very close quarters, and it feels very uncoordinated and very spur of the moment, almost like this is their favorite thing to use, and, and they're going to hit you with it until you you pop down and you die. And it's very thematic. Well, they do seem to have their like chosen favorites, mm. and yeah. it's an, almost an identifying factor. It's like. I'm going to be the guy with the fucking chainsaw, so I'm going to call myself Buzzer. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to yeah. be the guy with the cutting torch. I'm going to be Torch, yo. Yeah, and I'm the guy with the harpoon gun, so I'm going to be Monkey Wrench. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm going to be... Oh, fuck, there's only a lacrosse stick left. So I'm be Sticky! <laughs> Sticks! And then the rest of, and then the, rest of the Jedi's like, why don't you be Spanker? And he's like, no, I'll be Thrasher. Thrasher, yes. And the the names are very unique as well. So I I like that they're unique and different and interesting. Um, so all the figures in general are quite cool. But I'm kind of restricting myself to the vintage line because uh, <laughs> in looking through everything, I discovered in 2004 the dreadheads, which were recruits. And it's weird though that they aren't a bunch of different people. They're actually six cousins who are identical. Six identical cousins. Billy Bob, Cletus, Joe Bob, Otis, Roscoe, and Vance. And on the far cards, they're like, hey, never explain why these cousins all look the same, but uh, they wanted to join the Dreadnoughts. They're Great. identical cousins? Yes. Yeah. That's what it says in their far card. Yeah, I mean, quite from Dreadhead, Billy Bob's far card considers himself to be the most handsome dreadhead, despite the fact that all six are identical cousins. And in brackets, a fact that still baffles local doctors. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. It does take the piss out oh, of itself. God. Yes, I mean, and, and even up to there, 2004, you know, like way past Larry Harmon's involvement in the creation, you know, of the file card, some of them were still able to infuse character into these <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous figures and concept of the dreadnoughts. I'm interested, um, Rob, have you found some redemption for them? I mean, have they won you over? Um, I wouldn't say they've won me over in the inclusion in the G.I. Joe line, but I think as a group separate from G.I. Joe's and Cobra, they they seem very interesting. Another thing I discovered is it's during the, the dark period between the vintage and modern Joe's, between 2001 and 2005, they released nine figures of Zartan. Nine. Yeah, I know. Why? Crazy. I mean, they're like, hey, let's catch up the snake guys. We need a bunch of Zartan. Okay. And most of them look the same. Yep. It's like they just kept redoing the same figure. I understand. Over um, and over and over again. They're making up yeah. the fact that there were only two Zartans in the whole vintage run. Yeah, the first one, and then the one that kind of actually looks like he fits in with the Dreadnoughts, version 2 in 93. The was with the Mohawk. <laughs> yeah, with the Mohawk and his yeah. orange hair. And this is like Ninja it's Force a... incarnation. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, he really looks like a ninja. He's okay. <laughs> Leave him alone. But He's this like one at least kind of he, he changed the color of his neon green pants and his sort of the hair, the orange hair and the orange you know, his sort of makeup on his face. I think that's probably his most appropriate Dreadnought look. Mm -hmm. If you were to say he's part of the Dreadnoughts, that would be the look you'd have for him. 
And yeah, they don't have a lot of vehicles, and they're all kind of not so good. But the Thunder Machine in itself <laughs> is a cool vehicle. Um, oh, there we go. It's very cool. No argument here. And then eventually they got a. You know, I mean, they still don't have a bike. Never had a bike. But um, mm-hmm. like the Doom Cycle from 2010 kind of looks cool. It's like a. It's the bike version of the Thunder Machine. You know, I will gun. say that I will say that it's better than the garish green toothpaste green repaints they did of other vehicles. I mean, in that mm. regard, it's way better than that, and it's better than Zanzibar's airskiff. Definitely put that there. Yeah, and that also doesn't make sense. Zanzibar is a pirate. Why does he have an airskiff? I don't get mm. it. it <laughs> makes no sense. I want to be different. I am a pirate of the skies. And the lacrosse stick was taken, dude. Yeah, that's true. So, I, I find a lot of interesting things that I do like about them. And also, like, not just the weaponry, but some of the accessories are kind of cool. I mean, like, Buzzer comes with a gas tank backpack. Mm. I mean, it's very suggestive of, the, you know, the behavior and the, the activities that they would get involved in when they're doing, that, you know, they're a distraction or they're there to destroy things. He's mm. pouring gasoline on stuff and he's getting torches lighted for him. <laughs> I think that's quite cool. I like that. Yeah, no, that, and also, that team and, synergy is quite cool. Like, I yeah, like that then, too. Carry on. I think there's a bit of also like international in it as well. I mean, I, I didn't look up all of their bios, but I mean, like, Mikey Wrench is from Wales. Um, isn't Torch Buzzer from like Australia or something? Uh, uh, I think Torches, the balance of the Dreadnoughts are Australian. Well, there, that's interesting. With a few exceptions. You know, that that they are probably the most international team in the G.I. Joe universe. I mean, that's also very interesting. But also very telling that they couldn't make that, you know, like, they're not rednecks, actually. They're inspired by the redneck culture in America. That's kind of the biker culture. Yeah, the biker culture. So definitely, I mean, I still hate them in their inclusion within G.I. Joe, but I think as a unifying group, they are still very interesting. Or at least the, the vintage figures. I mean, they... Just, you know, with the inclusion of the Dreadheads and a couple of other guys later on, um, this became a bit big. And I suppose yeah. the brothers and sisters of Zartan as well. I mean, that's that's unnecessary. But I think their popularity started running away from them. I mean, yeah. I always yeah, wanted the Dreadnoughts to say small, but it turns yeah. out it's like got multiple chapters and it's got headquarters in various other places. Yeah, and then also they had a very cool look to them. And then, you know, Zandar's around and come along and they're pink. And Zandar's <laughs> claiming, you know, he was never, he never got noticed in school. He was never seen, but now he wears pink all the time. <laughs> yep. That's just stupid. I'm out and I'm proud. Exactly. Would that be so bad? Like, you know, <laughs> no, if Zandar no, was gay, that, would be, that wouldn't be, I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. Zorana was a lesbian. Yeah. Also transgendered. (laughs) Well, yeah, at least one of her original versions looks transgendered. And they're former lovers. Yeah. (laughs) And practices of incest. I think so. That sounds right to me. They have six cousins. (laughs) Oh, and they gave birth to all the dreadheads. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Dropped them off at different families in the neighborhood. Weird. Yeah, so in general, I think they do fit together very well. So I, I can see interesting things about them now. So I definitely, for myself, redeem them as a group, but they still don't belong in G.I. Joe. And probably my favorite 
Drednock, or the one that I find most interesting, his look and his sort of bio is Zanzibar. And he's a pirate and he's a thief, and I, and I like that about him. And he's a sexy ponytail. Yeah, and he's so out there. You could, he's like straight out of Mad Max, you know? Mm. Like the dirty ripped pants and the, that weird thing he's wearing with the weird little like shoulder pads and the ripped shirt. And he has a hammer and a spear. It's great. He's so far out there that you just can't, you can't help but like him. He is far out there. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny. <laughs> the way that he joined them, I mean, the Farquhar is, that's like his lucky break came when he delivered a load of bootleg gasoline to Zartan's filling station and was immediately taken on as a dreadlock. I mean, they were like, wow, you're so badass that we just can't help but have you join us. You're showing you're off your belly. <laughs> you're on the team. <laughs> we like that Morgan Teach. That's his real name. His surname is spelled like Teach. So, like, you're a teacher, but, with, yeah, he teaches. Gotcha. Morgan Teach. Uh, yes, I looked at the Dreadnoughts as a group, and I find them to be interesting. So they, they've redeemed themselves in my eyes. What I was going to say, it's kind of interesting, your your favorite out of all of the Knocks, is kind of where I like to draw the line with the Dreadnoughts, actually. I, <laughs> I like to think of the Dreadnoughts as just Torch Ripper, Buzzer, and I suppose Zartan, I mean, if we're looking at the cartoons. Um, Monkey Ranch, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm trying not to. It's just that I find Zartan to be, it's weird, it's kind of like Zartan specifically I find to be a little bit out there um, in terms of the Dreadnought aesthetic. It's like, it's it's a vintage figure I've never felt inclined to ever get my hands on, and I was happy when I got him in the pack, but it's not like my favorite of the Dreadnoughts, you know, it's like kind of odd. You're mm. never going to get vintage Zartan's look until you get vintage Zartan. No, I agree. I fully agree. And I mean, it's on my list. Because listeners, uh, when he refers to vintage Zartan, he's referring to the 25th anniversary versions that evoke vintage Zartan. But he's not talking about 1984 Zartan. But you know what I'm talking... But yeah, but... Now we know what he's talking about. Another thing that I just want to mention, a vintage Dreadnought that uh, I would buy first probably would be Roadpig. I really like Roadpig. It was my first Dreadnought ever when I when I was a kid. I got him from the Sonic Fighters line, and I've always thought he was a cool toy. And I really hated that he never came with that hammer with the concrete block, with the cinder block, and the wrist-mounted um, crossbow. And it's kind of cool that the repackaged, the re-released version comes with that, and it gives you a place to put the, the cinder block hammer. It doesn't come with the wrist-mounted um, crossbow, but they have released that with that night landing set that comes from the 50th anniversary. So I get to kind of have a complete modern version of Road Pig, which is kind of exciting for me. And I was skeptical when I bought my vintage Road Pig two weeks ago from Dublin City Comics. Ten euros seemed like quite a lot of money for a figure that I never really had much interest in owning. But in hand, all was justified. It's a good figure. Oh, yeah. All his accessories. Oh yeah. Yep. Awesome. Crossbows, cinder blocks, shoulder like pads, it. and that strange little shield thing. Yeah. That's where he puts his quivers. That's oh. where all the, the bolts go. I think. But the bolts are explosive with like a bulbous tip. Anyway, yeah, maybe he switches up ammunition. But then otherwise he only has one shot for his crossbow. Mm, he's got 
three on his thigh. Ah, three sculpted ones on his thigh. Mm. That's really dangerous. No doubt. But then again, I mean, like this comes from a line where like Major Bud was wearing a string of (laughs) grenades all over his chest. A few things I would just like to mention just about uh, DF and then Battle Force 2000. I'm reading issue 12 or 13 of the classic G.I. Joe run, and it's got to do with the whole sort of melding of like Ecoforce and then the DEF. It's got that that whole issue for the listeners, you know, that might not be familiar with the comics. What they've done is they've taken Cesspool and then they've taken Headman and in the and in that <laughs> oh, story it's not, arc, it's not issue twelve, it's volume twelve. No, I said volume twelve, that's what I meant. Sorry. Okay. But I, I meant to say volume twelve of the graphic novel. In that book what's happening is they've kind of got the it's quite a smart way of telling the story in that, you know, you've got two um big bad guys and you've got two separate Joe teams going after them and they sort of converge. So you've got Headman and Cesspool and then they have the Eco Forces represented and the DEF is re- represented. And you kind of got the whole interweaving thing there. Now, the thing that's interesting is the way that the story is told. It's kind of interesting. But the story that is being told is not that interesting. And the characters are not that interesting. That for me, like, I'm, I'm actually struggling to get through that volume at the moment, personally. For as awesome as Larry Hammer is, I find that whole section very difficult to read through because it's very hokey and it's very odd. And I don't blame Larry Hammer or any of the creative team there. I blame the, that specific part of the toy line. So, if mm, I, I think if, we can blame Larry for starting to be a bit complacent and realizing well, that G.I. Joe is a cash cow that you just have to punch the clock, man. I don't think he was mm. writing his most inspired work at that stage. No, I mean, he, he was wondering how long this G.I. Joe thing is possibly going to last. Perhaps at that point in the run, he thought, this might be around forever. I might mm. be making this my meal ticket for the rest of my career. Mm. So why work any harder? I, I yeah, sincerely maybe. think that that was kind of going around in the back of his head. Because I know the issue that you're talking about. I think it was called Triple Play. Yeah. And yes, yeah. myself, and I know this about Rob, I'm going to go so far as to actually giving his opinion for him, but like we hate that issue. Yes, it's yeah. just so really fractious. Every single yeah. page jumps to one of the three plot lines that it's trying to further. And it's just, it's bad writing. It's it's uh, lazy. He's so much better than that. But he doesn't yeah, exactly. have to be all the time. The reason I'm putting this out there is just so that the listeners understand that we're not disliking these things purely from just a, oh, the toy offends me standpoint. We're disliking it from the fact that even though the toy wasn't that great, the sort of mythology behind those toys wasn't that great either. We were grasping at straws as fans to try and find things that we really enjoy at this point in the, the sort of G.I. Joe line. And BF2000 was pretty much killed off by Larry Harmer. He was sort of given free reign to take them out, and he did so with extreme prejudice, you know? And he did it in one of the coolest ways ever. And the only thing that's memorable about BF2000 is how they die. That says something about BF2000 and the characters and what they are to the mythos, you know, with the only one surviving being Dodger, which I think is actually more of a joke because his name is Dodger. But Oh, Larry, you you're know, so punny. Oh, you're so punny, Larry. <laughs> but but you get what I'm saying. It's like these things... For the um, benefit the, of the listeners, the Battle Force 2000 meet their end 
as part of an ongoing bargain between the Emir of Benzene and Cobra Commander, the Emir was trying to buy back his oil fields, and Cobra Commander asked him to make an offer. And the Emir made an offer in the specified number of digits. Cobra Commander blows up the oil fields that the Battle Force 2000 happened to be driving through at that time. Mm-hmm. And when the Emir says, you destroyed my, my, my millions, my wealth, what happened? I offered you money. He said, sorry, the offer's too low. So is that the cool go. end of the BF2000 that you speak of? I think it's... Uh, just, they're no, memorable it's the cool because they're the end. only Joes that died. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you remember them. That's the only thing. Very little fanfare, though. They, 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 yeah. Any, yeah, but that's exactly. But that's what makes them memorable. They die with any kind of, like I said, with extreme prejudice. There's, there's no glory or anything about how they die. They're just pig. I'd we like to propose a theory that mm-hmm. when Harmer had this storyline that reflected the invasion of Kuwait and Desert Storm One, and he was going to mirror that in GI Joe, I think he probably maybe approached uh, Hasbro and said. Listen, I'd really like to kind of have a bit of a culling here. I've got way too many characters. We're going to go for a more realistic storyline that is reflecting the the conflict in the Middle East. Can we kill off some people? And no, do you have he a probably had yeah. a like a short list and said, "Well, yeah. there's this subset. They're being phased out this year. The year being 1989. So can we can we off them? Can we get rid of them? Or it was 1990. It was around around about the Mm. the same time as Operation Desert Storm. And obviously got the green light from Hasbro because he decided, like, this whole block of characters that he hasn't really been able to ever characterize or do anything with, except, like, a minor cameo here and there. Mm. Boom. Done. That uh, solves yeah. our, our death count problem quite handsomely because you just get rid of That's a whole sub-team right off the bat. And also, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, because I just have trouble remembering this as well with the DEF and stuff. Bulletproof, does he die as well? Not that I'm aware of. I think Bulletproof's still okay. among the living. Oh, uh, right. Because okay. he's no, Bulletproof, remember. remember? I just thought the irony was inescapable. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been funny. He does get shot, but oh, yeah. he's Bulletproof. <laughs> in that very issue, I think, in triple play. That's correct, yeah, because I, I remember seeing that. I just I haven't been able to forge through that. I've actually gone backwards to read the, the like, Zlatan invading the pits and all of that stuff, because oh, I yeah. find far more interesting. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, but, uh, about yeah, Bulletproof, so, Firecourt has this to say. His code name wasn't picked out of a hat. It was given to him by the very people he tracked down, the world's drug leaders and their private armies of Uzi-wielding thugs! In countless raids and all-out firefights, they saw him leading his men into the thick of the action and never took a single hit. They said, he must be bulletproof. <laughs> but because he didn't take a single hit, I would just say he's drug-proof. <laughs> he's clean. He's clean. He's like me. I'm proud of the fact that I don't do any drugs, but... I'm just saying, like, with old Bulletproof, I mean, he hasn't taken any. A small improvement for the DEF, as I mentioned earlier. All the bad guys should come with tigers, man. Tigers and lions. And they're not really real drug dealers. They don't have any tigers or lions. Just 
I'm just going to put that out there. And, and what and does Leopard... that say about spearheading Max? Ooh. Ooh. The local smackheads on the G.I. Joe team. Why do you suppose he painted his camo pattern neon orange instead of brown? No, because he, he knows. He's like, he's, his client base is like the desert raving, you know, the Cytron's type, you know? Because he's, he's your mommy, high, he's your daddy. so high. <laughs> no, he's your mommy, he's your daddy, he's your good and looking girly, he's your doctor when you need, have some coke, have some weed. Nice. He's your pusher man. I think I have about six drug-related songs to outro this episode with, so it's anybody's guess which one uh, I should be singing right now, but, you know, maybe we'll do a medley. Fun, baby. Listeners, this has been episode 37 of G.I. Joburg. This is Steve saying good night, sleep tight, and don't let the headman bite. <laughs> nice, oh. thanks, Paul. This is Paul telling you to buy two of the Battle Fast and to keep it real and buy real Joes and don't do drugs. This is Rob. Uh, I gotta say, this is a good episode, you guys. Awesome. You've reinforced my hatred for the DEF and the Battle Force 2000 and slightly redeemed the Dreadnoughts. But well, I did that for myself. Well, <laughs> you win, Robbie. Yay! Yay! Yay, yay, yay! Hi! Good night, good night! So tired, let me go. Things alright. Ah, hooked on a feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good lord, we've lost it.